Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and on this episode, we'll be talking to Connect Airlines. But first, I want to remind our listeners, registration is now open for our 2022 Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit, happening live in person at the Hyatt Regency Reston in the Washington, D.C. region. Airlines are free to attend. We actually just confirmed SpaceX will be speaking at the event this year. Go to gcasummit.com to register. So I recently had the chance to catch up with Dave Marcantel, Chief Operating Officer for Connect Airlines, which is a new airline based out of Toronto that's on the verge of launching its passenger carrying operations. They are a subsidiary of Waltzing Matilda Airlines and will be operating a fleet of Q400s. Dave provides some insight on some of the newer technologies that Connect Airlines is investing in as they prepare to launch passenger carrying operations eventually, including his thoughts on in-flight Wi-Fi and a new asset records management software that will allow various personnel and divisions of their airlines to use QR codes to transfer data among different IT platforms that they use and effectively become a paperless operation with this new technology. So let's get into our conversation with Dave Marcantel, Chief Operating Officer, Connect Airlines. Okay, so Dave, first, for those in our audience who may be unaware, if you can just give a brief introduction to your name, job title, and current role with Connect Airlines, also where you're based out of, and what are some of your day-to-day responsibilities that you're focused on at Connect Airlines right now? Sure. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, so, uh, David Markintel, I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Waltzing Matilda Aviation, uh, which uh, does business as Connect Airlines. Uh, we are a Dash 8 Q400 operator that's in the final stages of new air carrier startup uh, to provide service from the Northeast uh, in the Midwest, specifically uh, Philadelphia and O'Hare to start with, into Toronto's Billy Bishop or Island Airport, as it's often known, uh, in bringing a kind of a business class or business category product uh, to those markets. Uh, my role as the chief operating officer is uh, to effectively to run all of flight and technical and airport operations. There are three major portions of that uh, of that responsibility, and I lead a team of now uh, sixty plus people uh, uh, getting ready to provide that service uh, to the public. So we're quite excited about it. Interesting, and you know, we did see that uh, Connect Airlines was first launched last year with plans to use a fleet of Dash eight Q400s. Could you just give us kind of an operational status update on the airline and, you know, what type of operation you're looking to run and kind of what, what's kind of your, your status as far as what you're focused on right now? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, So yeah, it was uh, with a lot of fanfare that we announced that we were starting the certification process, the air carrier certification process with the FAA. Uh, And, and as is customary or often, uh, the case. In fact, every time has been the case. It takes a little more than a year to go through that extensive regulatory process with the FAA. Uh, that starts with you know identifying all the you know the key personnel and moving on to effectively uh, writing uh, what's called a carrier manual system uh, or a company manual system. To you know, it's all the manuals of the policies and procedures of how you will operate. 
you then start to train from that and and then you get ready for what they call the validation phase uh, we have completed in that certification process we've completed all of the manuals we've completed all of the training uh, we've completed all of the validation elements of this except for the proving runs the only thing that remains for us is to receive the final uh, show cause order from the Department of Transport, the U.S. Department of Transportation, which is effectively our economic license. Uh, that too has been in progress for the last year. However, uh, there's a bit of, uh, like a lot of things going on in the United States government these days, a lot of things are moving a lot slower than they used to. And uh, so we are literally waiting on pins and needles to receive our show cause order, and then we will conduct what's called proving runs. Uh, in which case we'll fly up to about 150 hours worth of flying uh, in real operation of the Q400 aircraft uh, in the destinations that we intend to fly, Philadelphia, O'Hare, uh, Toronto, et cetera, uh, as we would do in regular uh, revenue service. Uh, but we'll be doing that without passengers, just company personnel and FAA personnel uh, as part of the last test uh, before we receive our air carrier certificate. So uh, we're in the very, very last stages of, of the process and hope to be flying uh, in revenue service uh, by middle of July if all goes according to plan. I see. You know, it's always interesting to learn, you know, uh, when a, an airline is, is just in these earliest phases like this, you know, some of those um, activities you have to go through. Let me ask as a follow-up question, though, before we get into some of the technology I wanted to ask you about. You know, you mentioned you wanted to bring sort of a business product to those destinations you mentioned, flying out of Toronto to, to a couple of those destinations you mentioned. Can you can you kind of expand a little bit on that and, and what you see as the business case for this airline uh, flying out of Toronto and to some yeah, of those yeah. northeast? Yeah. yeah, definitely. So so the real attraction of Toronto is I think a couple of key things. First of all, remember that a lot of people probably don't know this, but Toronto is one of the fourth is the fourth largest uh, uh, commercial aviation market in all of North America. So it's a large population base in Toronto. However, uh, Toronto is currently served almost predominantly, or, or Toronto-bound passengers are served almost predominantly uh, uh, out of Toronto's Pearson Airport, Pearson International Airport, which is about 45 minutes north of downtown of the Bent business center of Toronto. There is a closer airport, specifically Toronto's Billy Bishop Airport, but it's a much smaller airport and it's just five minutes, <laughs> literally in the in in the uh, in the lake there, um, just five minutes away from downtown. However, that airport, being a much smaller runway, uh, only permits turboprop aircraft. And um, uh, what we really targeted, or our our target market, are business travelers, uh, often in many cases day travelers, uh, a businessman trying to make a day trip in a single day between major uh, Northeast and Midwest cities in the United States into Toronto uh, to be able to allow them to do that trip in a single day and get back. And so that's the, its first tour oriented towards those business travelers. But the second thing that we've done is we've introduced a premium economy style uh, cabin, we call it the premium class uh, in, in the aircraft. And we've got uh, a really nice product in store for our, for these business travelers 
who want a little bit of extra uh, legroom, um, a little more comfortable seating arrangement, uh, a higher service level than what they've used, they've been able to see in the past on turboprop aircraft. And, and that's what we're going to bring to that particular market, market uh, thereby allowing uh, you know, the business travelers to, to, uh, to really get more done in their day uh, when traveling back and forth from Toronto. Interesting. And, you know, as a follow up question to that, one of the, the topics in technologies that we we interview airlines a lot on this podcast about is the use of in-flight Wi-Fi and in-flight Internet. By any chance, will you feature in-flight Wi-Fi on those aircraft? It's so funny you say that. Uh, the, the short answer is yes, we will. I can't go into the details just yet until all the deals are signed. Uh, but we uh, uh, we do expect to be offering in-flight entertain uh, 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 in-flight connectivity. Okay, got it. Uh, something we can definitely follow up with you on, maybe because it is a, a kind of a really interesting technology. Uh, but you know, speaking of, of new technologies, we did you know recently saw that Connect Airlines selected a new records asset management software from GE Digital uh, that will allow the airline to use QR codes to transfer data among its various IT platforms. Can you just give us an understanding of what that technology is and, and what's the real kind of benefit it'll provide for Connect Airlines? Yeah, so there's really a couple things as part of this, this deal that we announced, and I'll, I'll try to, to methodically walk through those. The first of all is that we, we bought um, AirVault, which is a product of GE Digital for ongoing aircraft and engine maintenance record keeping. Uh, this is essentially to digitize uh, all of our maintenance records so that we can present them to the to the FAA and to the aircraft owners, the the less you know our lessors, uh, upon demand, and then we can deliver that and, and of course document the history of the maintenance performed on the aircraft while they've been in our possession. I've actually bought that product a couple different times in my career, in my thirty year some career now in the airline industry, so. Uh, I'm pretty familiar with it. It's a leading product for uh, maintenance and engine or aircraft and engine maintenance record uh, storage and digitization. But one of the things that has been missing in this particular space is um, our, our software tools that effectively manage the induction of an aircraft, particularly a used aircraft, and the exit of an, a used aircraft from a fleet in transitioning it to another operator. Uh, that is a very labor-intensive, uh, document-intensive process in which just basically the, the, the entire life of the aircraft has to be very, very carefully uh, organized, categorized, documented, and then presented uh, either to the airline that's receiving it or to the lessor that's taking the airplane back. The marketplace has not really had a very good product for that. But a few years ago, GE Digital built the ATS system or the asset transfer system um, uh, uh, for that purpose. And it had lots of uh, really uh, interesting workflow tools built into it because there's a lot of back and forth that takes place between uh, the, you know, the, the entity that's building these packages and who it's going to and various MROs and other, other providers that are involved in the process. And they... The, the workflow tools help facilitate the process, and they also, importantly, uh, allowed the organization of these records according to the ATA Spec 2500 
which is also similar to an IATA spec, uh, which has now been adopted industry-wide for how leasing companies effectively want the, or, want the records organized. So this facilitates a, a standardization and uh, allows everybody to be kind of looking at it from, this, from the same vantage point and looking in the same place. But the problem was is that the AirVault application, which has been around for uh, many years, probably 15 years or more, um, had not been uh, updated to this new organization structure. And what uh, we worked with GE Digital on is actually bringing the two products together into a single platform. And that's, in fact, what we actually signed was a, a, a deal to bring all of that, all the benefits of ATS to the AirVault day-to-day records, records management and scanning processes. But as we deployed it, we were also interested in the, the indexing capability of the existing legacy AirVault product. So when you have a record system, you want to be able to find stuff, right? So you process these records in. Sometimes they're hard copy. Sometimes they're digital. Sometimes they're not very smart digital. Sometimes they're heavily, you know, a lot of metadata in them. The, the net of this is, is you want to index this so, you, so that these systems, so that AirVault can quickly find it. So that when I go in and I want to go look up a particular event or, or a type of fault or finding that's occurred, uh, even a part number or a serial number, I can quickly go through the entire history of not just one airplane, but the entire fleet and find every occurrence in which that part number or serial number might have been referenced. Well, in order to do that, I have to index these records to facilitate the scanning, the the search process. And it is that indexing that can get very labor intensive. So the old method was you had a bunch of clerks, uh, data entry clerks who would receive the, the, the paperwork often in paper, uh, scan it, and then they would have to index or type in various metadata fields. Well, what we wanted to do was we wanted to try to take all that labor out. And what the QR codes allowed us to do was to place the QR codes on our production documents coming from the systems that originated those production documents, our work planning systems, as an example, our task cards, as an example and embed in the QR code key information that we wanted to be into that metadata fields when they ultimately go into AirVault. And so with the QR code, we can print out, because we still have to live sometimes in a paper world, but, but this is all part of tra- ultimately transitioning to, a, to a, a complete, fully digital world. But we have the ability to print this document out with this QR code that has a bunch of embedded information about the record that was that was printed out, the record the the work is accomplished by the by the technicians or whomever is doing or the shop doing the work. When the records come back to us in paper form, we can easily scan it and guess what? AirVault is able to read that QR code and immediately complete all of the indexing that was associated with that record. And therefore, what used to take you know, quite a few minutes uh, per record to actually enter in all of this information is automatically done, saving labor and time and really kind of setting us up as a transition into the ultimately the, the permanent digital environment in which these systems are talking directly to each other. And so this gives us the ability to work in a kind of lower tech 
uh, Adobe World, Adobe Acrobat World, where we generate PDF documents and we see PDF documents on screens, but they have these QR codes, which is trans transmitting or capturing and carrying through certain key information from one system to another system. Somebody might ask, well, why do I have all these different systems? And the reality is, is that you have these different systems because we're a big believer that you, you, you want to be able to leverage the best of multiple, you know, the, the best system in, you know, for a particular function, kind of the best of breed approach. And, and not everybody does, not all of these systems do everything exceptionally well. They do certain things exceptionally well and they do everything else okay. So what we're trying to do is bring all the best players together and minimize the level of complexity in the interfaces where you can spend just a ton of money creating digital interfaces. And this, this was a cheaper, simpler way to do it and still achieve the same objective. Yeah, that is fascinating the way that you sort of described how, you, you know, you're able to go from that, still dealing with some paper, like you said, but going from that, the paper-based methods to this, uh, you know, QR code-based methods is yeah, very it, interesting. Yeah, and, and you know, and we always talk about the digital world, but the reality is, is that we still have to live in a paper environment. Uh, a lot of the legal community, whether we like it or not, I mean, I've got lessors who demand uh, paper. At the end of the day, they demand paper. Even if the document was digital, they want to be able to print out a paper document that has a signature on it, you know, that, that is authenticated. And, and we have to be able to provide for that mechanism. And they, they're doing it for asset protection, right? Not all, not, not all governments and, and, and airlines universally have moved to a digital environment. Some regulators still require wet signatures uh, to be able to actually show that authenticity, the, 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 the authentication of that. So we've, we're, you know, we've got this uh, a bit of a complex uh, process, but nonetheless, we can satisfy multiple masters in this regard. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I want to ask a follow-up question. You mentioned uh, sort of, you know, inducting an aircraft and then exiting it out and, and just the overall life cycle process. I want to ask, though, about what kind of records are you, are you kind of referring to? And what, what is some of the information and data that some of the Connect Airlines personnel would deal with on kind of a day-to-day -day basis with this, uh, you know, QR code-based system? Sure. No. Well, ATA uh, spec 2500 defines all the groups, but I'll give you the short. I'm not going to list all, all of them. There's a bunch. Uh, but in simplest terms is, it, first of all, um, all of the AD status, AD record, AD accomplishment and AD status for every AD that's ever been issued to the airplane. You know, there's there needs to be a very clear uh, document that shows we call it the dirty fingerprint document that shows that either that AD was applicable or not. And if it was, uh, when was it complied with and what is its current status? Whether it was repetitive or terminating, it doesn't matter. Similarly, you have to have an, an, another big bucket of this is all of the life limited parts. And you've got to be able to show uh, that in the build, in the delivered build of an engine, a landing gear, an APU, uh, that uh, uh, every part, every piece part in that engine APU landing gear, uh, if it's life limited, you know exactly 
how many cycles or hours it has, and you have proof of this, and there's verification and validation of that. Another big bucket is heavy maintenance events and all the various modifications and scheduled tasks that were accomplished there. So the, you, you know, you've got just a ton of, of, of records that make up all of this information. And then the last group is the logbook itself. Uh, there's a lot of maintenance that's performed on the logbook, not to mention the hours and cycles that are accrued on the aircraft with each and every flight. And, and all of these log pages are, 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 are captured with every flight and, and held onto so that you can uh, uh, affirm uh, and verify that the reported hours and cycles on the aircraft are indeed uh, what is purported to be. So what we have is we have an aircraft records organization that is responsible for uh, for receiving all of this information that is that is that is compiled during the ongoing maintenance of an airplane, or in the case of an induction, when an induction takes place, and we're handed all of these records from the prior operator or the prior less or the lessor, they give us all of this, and we have to go audit all of it, prepare what's called a conformity compliance statement to give to the regulator you know, to the FAA and says that is proof that the airplane is airworthy. And we can verify that uh, in, a, in, a, in a typical airplane that probably on the order of magnitude of 3,000 different trackable items are in fact compliant, that we have proof of it. And, and, and proof of it being when was it last done? When is it next due? Uh, who did it? Uh, um, and, uh, you know, on what piece of documentation or what signature was it, was it, uh, approved. And we've got to do that for every one of these items. And this allows our aircraft records group to quickly go through that process to be able to present it to the, to the regulator for conformity inspection and approval, and then ultimately put it under our operating specification. Now, the same thing happens on the out, on the exit, right? So when we turn the airplane back to the lessor, or we sell an airplane to, to another carrier, they're gonna ask for the same thing that we just asked for, right? That many, that many years prior. So what do we have to do? We have to present to them the history of what we received, plus the history of what we did while we were in possession of the aircraft. And that includes all the parts swaps that occur. So that's the other complexity that occurs is as parts move on and off, engines move on and off, landing gear move on and off, guess what? The records have got to flow with the parts. And ultimately, that's part of what all of this is about. Now, someday in the future, these records will be maintained digitally on the part in some fashion. I don't know exactly how we're going to do that with an engine blade or an engine disc. But, but at the core, that's ultimately where this goes to, is that the history is actually in the part itself. But until we're ready to do that, we have to maintain it externally. And this is how we do about doing it. Yeah, that is interesting. That that is a really innovative, um, you know, future once once that is able to happen. And I'm curious, also, Dave, you've talked, to, you, you've acquired this tool from GE Digital. D 
did does Connect Airlines have to take on any type of you know new IT infrastructure or maybe new computing? Um, you know, I know GE has its you know cloud system where it, where it stores a lot of this data, but the airline itself did you know do you have to take on any type of new you know computing or or just IT infrastructure for your organization? To- it's a great question, and and I am incredibly proud to report that the answer is no, and in fact. Connect Airlines, Waltz and Matilda Aviation Connect Airlines is going to be the first uh, 121 airline that is 100% in the cloud, meaning all of our systems are in the cloud. We have no, from reservations to operations control, to maintenance and engineering, uh, to flight planning and dispatch, everything that we have is in the cloud in a in a highly protected controlled environment in the cloud this was done on purpose to build redundancy and resiliency uh, uh, against our hardware failures to lower our cost uh, in infrastructure uh, and and we are we are extremely unique in this regard uh, in the industry so the answer is no it's all in the cloud that is that is fascinating to learn. Yeah. That, and, you know, that actually takes me right into my next question uh, that, I, that I wanted to ask about. Do you have a sense of just how much data you are having to store, um, you know, based on the number of manuals, documents, aircraft parts, the number of aircraft in your fleet? I mean, you know, obviously, once Connect gets up and running and, and starts flying, you know, just, just how much data you're sort of storing. Uh, I guess, you know, maybe on a daily, monthly or, or weekly. Yeah, it's, um, I, the, 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 of course, it's a moving target right now for us uh, and we're not up and up and operating yet. So the, the numbers aren't very, big, very large at the moment, but we're expecting that once we get up to up to running, uh, we're going to be generating, you know, an, uh, basically a terabyte of data every month. Um, and that, and that does not include uh, the digital data that we're getting from the aircraft, from the uh, uh, digital flight data recording system through our flight A4 system. Um, I'm not even including that. Uh, I mean, the, the, just the parameters alone on that translates into, I mean, significant data every day, just in terms of what's happening. And I'm sure you've read about or heard about this in terms of the newer generation aircraft generating terabytes of data per, you know, per per flight, uh, but uh, we expect that we're going to be on the order of one terabyte per month in just uh, transaction data uh, and document data that uh, we're we're adding, uh, you know, every every month. And do you have some sort of you know backup system since since all of you know you're operating completely in the cloud? What is sort of your backup or you know kind of redundancy for that? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, all of our all of our cloud op providers have extensive SLAs in place uh, with failover. Uh, uh, effectively, these are mirrored. the 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 cloud environments are mirrored in multiple locations, multiple geographic locations, uh, and that's pretty standard for how cloud cloud operations are working today. So it's not just simply remote; it it is it is mirrored in 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 several locations with immediate failover and redundancy built back in. Um, and we're getting this through uh, our cloud providers. AWS is our is our number one uh, uh, provider, but we've also have some stuff uh, with Azure, with Microsoft Azure. 
And, you know, this is a, a great uh, sort of transition to, to my final question for you, Dave, is that, you know, considering you're, you're here in 2022, obviously a lot of new, exciting uh, technologies being developed all around us. Uh, you know, one of my favorites to kind of monitor is the, the, the metaverse and some of the AI and machine learning tech, even that's being researched for aerospace. Are there any new digital uh, technologies that you are paying attention to right now, you know, outside of what we just discussed that, you know, could eventually benefit Connect Airlines? Yeah, there's there's several of them. I mean, we, we're obviously we're pe- trying to pay very close attention to how we can deploy uh, AI bots uh, to um, uh, streamline uh the process by which certain transactions or decisions are made. Um, and these can be from maintenance decisions to, to passenger, inter- passenger interaction, right? Customer interaction. And, and, and the more we can do this and get, them, get either a, a technician or a pilot or, or a passenger, the information that they're looking for uh, with uh, 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 more accuracy and with reduced uh, labor effort to do that, the, the you know the better we are. And the AI bots are the way to do this. You know, I mean that that quite frankly is is the fastest way to get the majority of these kinds of questions, these these queries uh, uh, um, resolved. Uh, the other part that I think is 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 embedded in that, and I've been a big proponent of this, is I still believe there's that there is substantial. Uh, runway uh, and growth opportunity in speech-to-text um, capability across m- a multitude of systems so that the things that we say um, as pilots, mechanics, customer service agents, et cetera, in a way that we have active listening devices that are recording transactions or, or performing certain services and certain actions based upon the things that we tell it to do. So think about, I mean, think of this as much like uh, Siri or Alexa on steroids, where, you know, as part of an ongoing conversation, you can simply tell Siri or Alexa, uh, as you as you just got finished having a transaction with a passenger or, or, or a, a, a discussion with a passenger, you, you know, you basically want to... Uh, to uh, uh, execute a particular booking or to complete uh, some transaction, a bag search or whatever, based upon, hey, the customer comes up to you and says, hey, I'm missing my bag. All right, well, let's look where you got. And it's paying attention to this. And all of a sudden it it has, based upon the listening of that, it has found the bag. It knows the passenger. What was your name? Oh, John Doe. Uh, and what flight were you on? Oh, I was on uh, Waltzing Waltzing Matilda flight uh, 901. And then next thing you know, it's it's showing there in his hand in you know in in his uh, device handheld device. Oh well, your bag is over here, and that information is immediately presented to to the agent and 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 to the to the to the customer. It's these kinds of things that are going to transform um, how uh, you know our passengers actually interact in in the aeros in you know, in the aviation system. Now we're not there yet by any stretch. Uh, and, you know, a lot of our larger and, and, and uh, more sophisticated airline partners out there are probably going to be the first to get to it. But this is coming. It's coming faster than, than one might expect. It certainly is. And it will be an you know, interesting space to kind of watch develop. Uh, well, you know, Dave, Mark Huntel, 
Thanks for coming on the podcast today. It was a really fascinating and interesting interview. And uh, hopefully we can get you back on when you do have some news to share on the in-flight Wi-Fi front. Look forward to doing that. Thank you very much for having me. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast.